I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I just read a bunch of emails. Uh, we put those on the Internet also. So you can go on the Internet and watch all these comments that we do. And uh, I'm teaching on something that it offends a lot of people, especially so-called conservative Bible believers in America. Um, it's been a it's been a about the last four to five weeks I've been teaching on how to study how to study study this is I think number four number five the Strong's Concordance Strong's Concordance. I'll just put C there, with an interlinear Bible. People say, is that a new version? No, that's the original text. Interlinear Bible with an analytical Lexicon. I can't spell what I'm talking. Lexicon means dictionary. And there's some books I'm introducing you to. The Interlinear Bible is the original, what's called Textus Receptus. Here it is right here. And you can get one. Anybody can get one. It has, I've said this every week, but it has the Greek on the top line and it has the English right under it. But I don't even trust, fully trust, the English of an interlinear Bible. I certainly don't trust the copy that these guys made. All I'm interested in is the Greek text. That's all I'm interested in. I use the English to locate the word. I'll use the verses and the English word. Once I get a hold of that word, I'm not interested in the English anymore. The Old Testament has the square letters, and you read from right to left in that. Just getting an interlinear Bible and reading an interlinear and trying to get your truth out of it, don't try to read the English. That's not even the purpose of an interlinear. The purpose of an interlinear is to look at that Greek text and copy the word down. Now, in the, I keep saying this, and I'm going to, long as I'm teaching on how to study, how do you know how to study? I've been studying for 65 years. Am I a Greek authority? No. I know something about the Greek. I know a lot about the Greek words and something about something about conjugation, something about participles and adjectives and adverbs and infinitives, and the list goes on and on. But I don't believe there's any such thing as an expert on Greek. The Greek text of people say, do you read, do you speak Greek? Nobody speaks this Greek. This Greek is a dead language. The Greek that they speak in Greece is not this Greek. This is the common street language of the first century. And every child 
five and six years old was speaking some form of it. So it shouldn't be that hard or that difficult. Now, I've been trying to show you. I use this right here. This is out of Mr. Machen's first year of Greek. He was a, he was a Greek scholar, and I got the book here somewhere. He was a Greek scholar, and he here it is right here. G. Gresham Machen. He was a, an authority on Greek. He wrote this book. This is New Testament Greek for beginners. When you get this, don't expect you'll learn all this stuff all at once. You'll learn a little bit at a time. But what you do is you go back here into the back. And they have an index, and you can look things up. This is the page where I got this that's on the Internet right here. This is the page right here. This is parsed all these words. To parse means to divide up in a sentence. Well, let me just go ahead and show you this one more time. The This is the word the. I've said this so many times. Anytime we've got three articles, an article is the same thing as an adjective, but they call these articles the, a, and an. Now, anytime you see a or an, you can cross that out because a and an are indefinite articles and they don't have indefinite articles in the Greek. They have a definite article and not only that, but they got 24 ways to spell it. Anytime you see a thousand years, cross that out because it's not thousand, it's the word kilia and it's plural, it means 2,000 or more. I don't know why preachers don't say that. I don't know why the translators did, did some of the things they did. I'm going to read to you a little bit. They've messed up. A lot of the, the translators messed up the King James Bible. They translated the King James from 1605 to 1611. Now, back in that day and time, they would say tongue instead of language. Of course, there's two words for tongue. The reason they said tongue, because if some knight was riding along and he ran across a young man, he'd say, forsooth, young knave, what tongue dost thou speak? Well, forsooth means of a truth, and tongue is the word language, and knave is a young man. So he was saying, young, young man, what language are you speaking? You're speaking some foreign language. That's what he was saying. Well, there's two words for tongue in the Greek, glossa and dialectos. Dialectos. Now, I know the Pentecostals are not going to like this, but that's their problem. Dialectos. Dialectos is our word dialect. They had a different dialect in every city-state. And glossa means foreign language. Heteroglossa is the word other tongue. In Acts 2, it means other foreign languages. It means foreign language. Dialectos means a dialect. They had a different dialect. The Jews had been scattered all over the world because all the time they were a nation, they kept going after these sun and tree gods. And the fourth judgment of God was the beast. That was Babylon, Persia, 
Greece, and Rome. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And you can see that in Daniel the seventh chapter and in Revelation the thirteenth chapter. You see the Babylonian lion. I'm not going to go through that. I've gone through it already. The Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, the Grecian leopard, the beast with iron teeth, that was Rome. Now over here, this is, like I said, here is the word the. There's 24 ways to spell it, depending on what case it's in. Nominative, genitive, dative, accusative case. I've gone through that over and over. Nominative case is either the predicate, nominative, or the subject. The genitive case shows possession, baptism, just the case in this proves that baptism is not water. Baptism of repentance. Of repentance is one word in the Greek. And when you look up repentance in this verse, it will say genitive case. What it means is true repentance possesses what baptism is. Well, that's not water. That's blood. Blood baptism was a death. It was a martyrdom. Now, I'm not going to spend as much time as I need to on that. But this is the word the. Depending on where it is in the sentence, that's the subject of predicate nominative. Genitive shows possession. Dative case is the indirect object. An accusative case is the direct object. It receives the action of the verb. Jim threw the ball. Ball is the direct object that Jim threw. It just receives the action of through. And then here is the word, and of course it depends on if it's masculine, feminine, or neuter. I went through this feminine gender when Jesus said, I am the way, I am taste. He told the apostles, I am the feminine way in you. How can Jesus be the feminine way? He said, the way you know, because he was talking to the bride, the wife of Christ, a nucleus of the church there in John 14. So it actually says, I am the feminine way. You can't translate that properly. It's not possible. Now, then you get down here to the word good. You got good. Uh, this, uh, this has 24 plus one more in the vocative case. Vocative is a direct address. It's the same thing when Jesus said, many will come and say, Lord, Lord. That's a direct address that would be in the vocative case. Then then you've got these other ways to spell good. When the Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good, it's this word right here, nominative, masculine, singular. I keep telling you, the only thing Mr. Strong will give you is this case right here, nominative, masculine, singular. Anytime you look up something in Strong's, it'll be that word right there. These are other words are the same word, but it depends on if they're they're uh, neuter neuter gender, feminine, or masculine, or where they are in the sentence. That's all it means. That is the basic word when you look it up in Strong, it gives you the basic definition, the nominative case, masculine, singular. Well you get your basic definition, but you don't get other words. I've said this over and over. I love to say it. It's just something I love to say. The word whosoever is nowhere in the Greek text. It is not Greek. Whosoever. 
Boy, people, every time they see that, they say, they want to put will after. Whosoever will, there's free will right there. I'm sorry it's not in the Greek text. Tough. (laughs) Whosoever is never. It's one. Every time you find it, this is where you've got to. Well, I better tell you this first. When you look it up in Strong's, it will say, Ho, hey, toe. That's all it will say. And that's not true. I don't know why Mr. Strong did that. All that is the, 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 the masculine, the feminine, the neuter. That's all it says. It's just not true. How are you going to find out what it says? That's one place you have to go to an interlinear Bible. You got to go in here and it'll tell you exactly what it says. Now, let me give you something. I've got a paper up here that I went through a lot of these and I investigated every, well, I won't say every time it says whosoever, but I investigated most of the times it says it. Let me erase this. This would be part three or part four, part five. I don't remember which. Tom will put it on there. But here's, let me just give you some of the words whosoever. In John 3.16, the Bible doesn't say whosoever believeth in him because God doesn't love everybody. God so loved, so is an adverb. This is, how about 19... 53, 54 English class, okay? Now, that was when I was in going into high school. 1953, I went into, I was a sophomore in high school. And 53, 54, then 55, 56, I graduated, graduated in 57. An adverb tells how, when, where. When, where. And these are the same parts of speech in the Greek as they are in the English. This is an adverb. Tell us, as God so loved, He didn't love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau. So puts a condition on the word loved. Adverbs modify verbs, adjectives, and other adverbs. This modifies love. So is a reference back to verse 14. When Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and whoever looked lived. That's what it's referring to. But how are you going to look at how are you going to hear those words? The hearing, hearing, the seeing, I, the Lord has made in both of them. You can't even hear Moses say, whoever looks lives. And you can't look without a seeing eye. And that's predestination. So that shows you that so begins predestination in John 3.16. And then it says... Loved is the word agape, and how many times have I said agape is one of the words that's been translated to love. And then you have phileo, which this is not the word phileo. God doesn't phileo have affection for everybody in the world. It's the word agape. Agape is walking in the commandments of God. Walking commandments. That's what Kittle's Dictionary of New Testament Greek words says. And that's what Second John 6 says. Second John 6 says, this is love, this is agape, that we walk after his commandments. Well, that's what the Kittles Dictionary says. That's a 10-volume set on Greek words, and it's got 34 pages just on agape. 
That's a lot. And then loved, that's walking the commandments of God. So God, in this fashion, loved the same way he loved Israel in the wilderness, those that looked to live, when the fiery serpents were biting them. They didn't die. Then he says, But God so loved the world. World is the word cosmos. That's what John 3.16 says, cosmos, but it's actually... It's actually accusative voice because it receives the action of love. The, the, the accusative case receives the action of the verb. So it re- receives the action of loved. God loved. It receives the action of God through the verb loved. So it's actually in this case right here. So it's not spelled like Mr. Strong says. Mr. Strong says it's cosmos. Right here, nominative, masculine, singular. Right there, it's where it is. It's actually in the accusative case. It's say it's the same word, but it's cosmon, or in the Greek, k o s m o n. An n is like a v, so it's actually cosmon. So God so loved, and it means orderly arrangement. And it's masculine gender. Therefore, he loves the orderly arrangement of mankind in this fashion. That whosoever believeth in him. It doesn't say that. Strike whosoever out of your Bible everywhere you find it. It says that. This is what it says instead of whosoever believeth. That the believing All. That the believing all. Look here. Here's the ways to spell all. There's 24 ways to spell all. It's the word pos. P-A-S. Nominative, masculine, singular. It's the word pos. P-A-S. That in the, the is the word hey, or ho, ho. Believing is the word P-I-S-T. E U O N. Pissed you on. This is an adjective. This is a participle, but that's a verbal adjective. That's also an adjective. An adjective has to carry the same number, singular or plural, has to carry the same number of the noun or the pronoun of pos. That it modifies. So it modifies all. And this is singular. This is singular. The believing is singular. And all is singular. And it's all masculine gender. It's one all. What is the one all? What is the one all? That the believing. Well, whosoever is such a stinking word. It don't belong in the Bible. It's not what every Greek teacher knows that you guys call me and tell me, tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. I dare you to do that. They know that. It's amazing that they say these things. That they put it in there. It says that they believe, there's one all that's believing 
Believing is the verb form of faith. Faith is P-I-S-T-I-S. The S in the middle of a word is like an oval with a little flag on it. The S on the end of a word is like our S. Except the bottom hook is smaller, shorter. So, whosoever's not there, let me just, I just said that again for everybody's sake. You got all these words, whosoever. James 2.10 says, whosoever shall keep the whole law. That's not the word whosoever. It's the word etis, E-I-T-I-S. Tis is a word that just means any. It's the same word as when the Bible says God is not willing that any of us should perish. It's the same word as that any in Second Peter 3 and 9. And it means, of course it says any of us, talking to the scoffers, E means if any, if any. But if is not a good word because there's not any if in God's, there's no contentions on us if we will do something. Then he, let me give you a few of these. I won't give you a lot. John three fifteen sixteen. 16, pas ho, pest you on. Then he says in Acts two twenty one, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that is the word pas hos. Pas hos. There's a dick critical mark there, and that's an H sound. Hos. Hos. Pas. Hos. Pas. Hos. We got hos up here. It's one of these here. I can't find it. But it's pas. Ho. Or it means the all. Now, then you've got in uh, Romans thir- 10 and 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. It's not whosoever. It's pas gar hos. It means thee, believe it, thee, for thee all. That's all it says, for thee all. And you've got that in James 2.10. you got that in James 4 and 4. you got, and I've gone through here and got, a majority of these words and uh, it'll always say posho or poshos or something connected with the all it never says whosoever it's just not a good word now I've shown you how that these translators do you think you can translate as good as those guys I don't know the great they knew but can I be objective as they are? Oh, yeah. Objectivity means the ability to go with the exact facts by crucifying your own self. Can you crucify yourself enough to tell your mother the truth, your children the truth, your brother the truth, and tell them and not varnish the truth with polish and make it look good? Seeing we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Plainness is the word parhesia. P-A-R-R-H-E-S-I-A. Parhesia means to be blunt, to the point, 
not beat around the bush. Do not circumvent something. Circumvent means to go around, beat around the bush. Here's the point. And you're beating around the bush. That's circumventing. You're making somewhat of a semicircle around the people so you don't have to offend them. Plainness means to be blunt, but it doesn't mean to be abrasive and cutting. Just tell the plain, straight truth. When I'm out in public, I say, did you know that Christmas, it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America? I'll say that to doctors. I'll say it to lawyers. And I don't just bluntly walk up and just terrify them. I'll say, can I ask you something? They say, sure. I say, did you know that? Most of them say, I'm not familiar with that. The reason our Bible, even the King James Bible has got all kinds of error in it. Not the Textus Receptus. You understand what I'm saying? So I look at, I look for the word in a King James. I brought out the word orge last week. Even some of the Greek teachers will say, well, orge, O-O-R-G-E, it's feminine gender. Even one of the great scholars in America Mr. Mounts says in this book, the Greek for Beginners, he says the orge can be God's anger and wrath. Cannot. It's, it cannot, Mr. Mounts. God is not a female. I know why they said that. They said that because they didn't like what the Bible actually says. God said in Romans, the first chapter, that God placed the orge upon man. He didn't like the idea that when man has a rage and anger, God put it on him. I said last week, the way he did that, he made him out of corrupt dust. Then he said, thou shalt not, and the day you do, you'll die. He didn't say, if you eat, but you will eat. Just like Adam, Adam ate, because he had to. He was made of corruption. I went through that last week, or this last message. You cannot, it's really hard to tell people. In Hebrews 3.11, the Bible says, so this is what the Bible, the King James Bible says. Hebrews 3.11, the Bible says, so I swore... And it looks like God's wrath because he's talking about the people murmuring against God in the wilderness of previous verses. So he said, I swore in my wrath. Well, it's not my wrath. It looks like God's wrath from the previous verses. And it's not. This is why I believe they translated this. It says, Tay or gay. Any word that ends with an Ada or with an Ada new is always feminine gender. That's feminine gender. They didn't want, they didn't like the idea that God says, So I swore in thee wrath, and the next word in the Greek text says, Moo. M O U. It's moo is of me. It says the wrath that's in man, 
Orge was the anger and the rage of a covetous man who wanted to get even and get back. And God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The word vengeance, D-I-K-E. God says, I will make things right. That's the word right. So when they come up and say, the wrath of God is of me, they left out moo in the King James Bible. They left that out. And they come up and put my looking like God's wrath. It's not what it says. Let me read to you something out of, where did all this come from? Here's a book. This is about the men who wrote, who who translated the King James Bible. It's called God's Secretaries. I'm going to read a couple of pages from it, and this will help you to understand. There were 53 translators of the King James Bible. I'm not trying to put down the King James. I'm not a King James only person. I'm a TR person only, Texas Receptus. And here's why. Let me read a couple of pages on this. This is t- It talks about it at the front of the book. When James the sixth, King James the sixth was the, he was the incoming king of England. Sixteen. Oops, I'll get it in a minute. Let me erase this. Sixteen o three. Sixteen o three. James the sixth. He was the king. You had you had James the first, James the second, James the third. It was King James the sixth that was behind the translation of the King James. And this was in sixteen oh three, and the tremendous black plague was rampaging across Europe. And it was hitting England in sixteen oh three. The Black Plague, or the Bubonic Plague, they had many names for it, hit England between the thir- early 1300s through the 16, about 1665. It would come and then it would go. It would come and then it would go. It rampaged like this through all the continent of Europe. It would sweep through Italy. I keep saying the COVID virus is from God. And it's amazing what some of these... Puritans said about this bubonic plague and where it came from. Mazes me. Sounds like me talking. Let me read this. There was something strange about the plague. It seemed to pick and choose its victims. Why Nicholas Bond, a Puritan Sabbatarian, had the answer. His pamphlet, Medicines for the Plague, published in 1604, is alive with both the appalled anxiety of the time and terrifying certainty certainty over God's role in it. For what is the cause of this pestilence? Sounds like COVID-19. Is so greatly in one part of the land and not another, in the same city and town, and why is it one part in one house and not in another? 
And the same house, why is it upon one and not upon the rest? When they all line together and draw in the same breath and eat and drink together and lodge in the same chamber, yea, sometimes in the same bed. Sounds like coronavirus. What is the cause of this? But that it pleaseth the Lord in wisdom for some cause to defend and some for a time and not the rest. Therefore, let us believe that in these dangerous times, God must be our only defense. Sounds like what I've been saying, doesn't it? As another teacher, Thomas Pullian, said in Jeremiah's Tears, published in 1608, the plague is nothing but the will of God, rightful, punishing, wicked men. How many times have I said that? Over and over and over. Enoch Clampton, a wild and cantankerous Puritan controversialist, claimed in 1603 pamphlet that people who saw anything in the plague but the working of the divine will were atheists, mere naturians, and other ignorant persons. Clapham has seen men and women walking in streets. The amazing thing about 1603 is that the Inquisition, the Catholic persecution was rampaging at that time as well. They were killing Christians all over Europe, the European continent, and over England for not partaking of the sacrament of the Mass, which is Christ's Mass. Suddenly stumble, collapse, clearly knocked down by one of God's avenging angels. One only had to inspect them afterwards to see the plain spirit of the blue hand left behind upon the flesh. And what had medicine to do with that? The modern use of the word stroke to mean an apoplectic seizure is a faint memory of that angelic blow. By midsummer of 1604, London under plague now looked, sounded, and smelled like a city at war. It was by far the most the worst outbreak in England had known. And James the Sixth was ascending the throne. Here now, grippingly and shockingly, the first and greatest Bible translator appears on the scene. The greatest translator of the Bible was a Roman Catholic. Listen to what it says. It is not dignified slight. It it is not a dignified sight. Lancelot Andrews. Lancelot. Remember Hans Lancelot? He was a part of the the uh, Arthurian legend. And the best scholars will tell us the Arthurian legend were, were thinly veiled fire and tree deities. I'm not going to go into that right now. Same thing as Christmas. Lancelot Andrews was a man deeply embedded in the Jacobin establishment. That means the European establishment. He was 49 or 50, master of Pembroke College, Cambridge. He was also dean of Westminster Abbey. Now, get this guy. He's a Catholic. He's the head of that translating committee. 
a prebendary of St. Paul's Cathedral drawing the income from one of the cathedral's manors, and of Southwell Minster, one of the chaplains of the Chapel Royal in Whitehall, who under Elizabeth, Elizabeth was an outgoing queen. She's the one that died, that caused James, who was living in Scotland. King James was the heir to the throne of Scotland, the throne of France, and the throne of England. And King James' mother was not Elizabeth. His mother was Mary, Queen of Scots, who was also an heir to France, France's throne, Scotland's throne. Scotland didn't have much of a throne or an army. They were kind of a two-bit country. England was the big part of this empire. Under Elizabeth had twice turned down the bishopric or the pastorship, not because he felt unworthy of the honor, but because we're talking about Lancelot, Lancelot Andrews, because he did not consider the income of the sees, S-E-E-S, that's the prognosticators or the bishops. He was offered satisfactory. It didn't want enough money for him. Elizabeth had done much to diminish the standing of the bishops. She had banished them from the court and effectively suspended Edmund Grindall, the Archbishop of Canterbury. The Archbishop of Canterbury, when Henry VIII started the Church of England, he appointed his own pope and called him the Archbishop of Canterbury. And they kept all of these all of these rituals in the Church of England or the Anglican Church. They kept to walking down the aisle next after the Eucharist. Who's severe? Elizabeth forbid this Edmund Gris Grindel, the Bishop of Canterbury, who's severe and Calvinistic views. <laughs> that amazes me that the head of the Church of England had Calvinist views was not to her liking. Andrews, one of the most astute and brilliant men of the age and ecclesiastical politicians who in the Roman church would have become cardinal and perhaps even pope. Ah, this this Lancelot Andrews was up to be the pope. And he was head of the head of this translating committee and the most powerful man involved in it. And he, I'm sure he had to do with bringing in the other Catholics. Not, was not going to diminish his prospects simply to carry an elevated title. Andrews plays a central role in the story of King James' Bible. A Catholic man was up to be the Pope. And the complexities of his character will emerge as it unfolds he is in many ways its hero he's the hero of the king james bible now i believe in the king james bible more than any other bible because it comes from the right text but there are errors in the king james bible and people will write to me there's no error it's the inspired word of god we have the inspired word of god in the great text as broad as the great Bible itself, scholarly, talking about Lancelot Andrews, he was scholarly, political, passionate, 
agonized in love with the English language. That's one of the problems there. Endlessly invigorating its possibilities. Worldly, saintly, serene, sensuous, courageous, craven. If not corrupt, then at the least compromised. That's what Lancelot Andrews was. He was compromising. Deeply engaged in the pastoral care, generous loving, in public, bewitched by ceremony. In private, he was troubled by persistent guilt and self-abasement. So he wasn't that right of a man. And he's more or less in head of this translation. Roman Catholic man that was up to be Pope, possibly. But in the grim realities of stricken, plague-stricken London in summer of 1605, he appears in the worst possible light. He doesn't look good. Among many positions in the church, he was the vicar of St. Giles Cripplegate just outside the old walls to the north of the city. And I'll just read a little bit of the next sentence. It's amazing the men that were in charge of translating the King James Bible, half of them Roman Catholics, I'm sure procured by Lancelot Andrews, brought in. They did a lot of compromising. But in the grim realities of plague-stricken London in 1603, the worst possible light, the church was magnificently, beautifully repaired after a fire in 1545, full of the tombs of knights. The knights rode in their great chargers, aldermen, goldsmiths, physicians, rich men, and their wives. And there were about 4,000 people in Lancelot Andrews Parish. By December 1603, 2,878 of them were killed by the disease. Now, that's just a little bit. I may read you some more, but it's just showing you the people that were in charge was the Roman Catholics. I don't know how much commitment they had, but it says in that article that he was in love with the English language. So he was translating according to his bent, however he was bent toward. Now, I'm trying to show you some of these books. I've been talking to you about not only did the Roman Catholics twist the King James Bible, but so did the Pharisees. I've said this already, and I'm kind of teaching on the same subject. It's kind of like taking a class in college, and the professor resumes the subject the following week, or the following class. That's kind of what I'm doing. Now, the Pharisees had a twisted version of the Bible. All through the Scripture, I believe, you say, I don't know Greek. Well, you can learn it. You don't have to learn the Greek. Just learn this alphabet up here, and you can look at it. You can take the alphabet and look the word up in an interlinear Bible, and it'll tell you exactly what the word is. It might be in the nominative case. It might be in the dative case or the accusative case and it may be feminine gender instead of masculine like they've translated or it might be neuter gender I said to you last week I've said it a couple of times when the Bible says the beast 
there in Revelation 13, Revelation 13, the beast, when you look it up, Tolterion, the beast is neuter gender. And it was like a lion, bear, and a leopard. Well, it cannot be a man like when it says the dragon gave him his seat, his power, and his great authority. It can't be a him because when you go back over here originally to the beast in Daniel 7, the beast was a lion, a bear, and a leopard, and the beast with iron teeth. The beast was a system over here. Why is it a man over here? Well, it's not. That's where the King James Bible mistranslated the beast. It didn't mistranslate the beast. It translated mistranslated him and his. The dragon, dragon gave him his seat, his power, and his great authority. Well, his and him is not what it says. His and him. It says... It gave autu, A-U-T-O-U. Autu, is, it comes from the stem, auto, A-U-T. That's the stem of the word, auto. The stem is the part of a word that has the meaning that everything's built upon. Well, this word auto, when you go into the different endings on auto, you have A-U-T-O. And that's masculine gender. The word endings are changed depending in the text as to, as to masculine or feminine or neuter gender. Then you have A-U-T-A-T-A. It's just a form of our word auto. It means self. Self. And then with the Ada, it's feminine gender, so it's her. So self and him and her are all forms of the same word. Self is auto. Her is auté. Is that important? Well, yeah. In Ephesians 5.25, the Bible says, Husbands, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself, and it says in the King James Bible, for it. It's not it. The church isn't an It. It says, Ote, her. That's who he died for, his wife, the church. Is that, a, is that wrong to do that? Certainly it's wrong. I don't know which one of the translators put it in there. It's not right. It would be neuter gender. It. Well, that's like all two. That can either be, that can either be mas- masculine or neuter gender. That's exactly what Mr. Mount says. And it has to follow the gender of the antecedent. The antecedent is the noun or pronoun that a pronoun refers back to. So autu refers back to the beast, which is neuter gender. It cannot be him. It cannot be his. It doesn't even say him or his in the internet in your Bible. The translators got it right. They put its. 
That's what it should be. Because it was an it over here, and God doesn't have an it over here that it turns into a man over here. Everybody's looking for a man to come on the scene because Revelation 13 says, The beast gave him, the dragon gave him his power, his seat, his great authority. It's not a him, it's an it. It's a new world order. It's a thing. It's a system. It was the same thing in the Old Testament. Why isn't it the same over here? Well, it is. But just because it's got him or his, everybody's looking for a man. Is there a man that's going to be heading that up? Well, certainly there is. But he's not the beast. The man is the man of sin. And there's many names for him throughout the Bible. The word Antichrist is only mentioned in First and Second John. And the Bible says anyone that denies Christ is Antichrist. First John 2.22 Deny Christ. Contradict. It's the word Arneomai. A-R-N-E-O-M-A-I. How do you deny Christ? It's what you do. Paul said in Titus 1.16, Some men profess that they know God. Same exact word as confess. Homologeo. Homologeo comes from homo and logos. Homo means of the same. We know what that is. A homosexual is of the same sex. It's a Greek word. Just like hetero is a Greek word. They spoke with heteroglossa, other tongues. It's Greek. means other. Homologeo. Some men profess that they know God. Titus 1.16. Well, I love this. Titus 1.16. Some men profess that they know God, but in works, they deny Him in ergon. They're tall. They work for themselves, and they don't work for God. In works, they deny. Deny is the word on It means they contradict God by what they do, so they don't confess Christ. You only confess Christ when you say His words with your mouth, and you do them. Well... So auto, auto, can be masculine or neuter gender depending on the antecedent. The antecedent of him is the beast. It's like Jim went to the store. He bought bread. Well, he is... The antecedent of he is Jim. It refers back to Jim. Well, the antecedent has to have the same gender and the same number, one, singular, one. It has to have the same gender and the same number as the, as the antecedent. So this is true in the Greek. The Greek books will tell you that. So... This word autu has to be neuter gender. Therefore, the beast is a system and it's not a man. 
that's where the King James messed up. I don't know why they did that. I believe it's Roman Catholics got a hold of some of this. And people are going to say, what are we supposed to do? Read the, read the Greek text? I'm going to, I mean, you know, use the King James Bible and refer back to the concordance and refer back to the interlinear Bible. It's a shame not hardly many people even know about an interlinear Bible. I had people call me from all over the country off our TV and off the Internet. I say you need an interlinear Bible. First you need a strong concordance. Then you need an interlinear Bible. They say, I don't even know what that is. Isn't that amazing? That has the exact text in it, and people don't even know what it is. If you want to look up a word, be sure you get it. Look it up in Strong's, then check and see if this is the same word in here. But in the Strong's, it'll only be nominative. It'll be nominative case, masculine, singular. Do you need to know that this is that this is neuter gender? Yeah. Then you have. I, I'm not a Greek teacher. I know some Greek, but I don't know know a whole lot. Studying the Greek language is very tedious. All I'm doing is taking you to some words so you can understand. You have aute, you have a-u-t-o-u, and then you have e, a-u-t. There's the stem, o-n. That's masculine gender. This is the word right there. A-U-T-O-N is the word in Luke 9.23. It doesn't say if any man come after me. If is not a Greek word. It says any man after me. Let him deny, deny himself. And it doesn't just say A-R-N-E-O-M-A-I. That's the word deny, but it has a prefix on it. Prefix is op, A-R-N-E-O-M-A-I. In the, in the uh, NIV that comes out of the West Cotton Hort text, it doesn't say op or neomai. It says arneomai. Arneomai can mean one time. Well, you don't deny self one time. You deny, you set off self daily, every day, the same way you do when you repent. Metanoia, M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A. That's the word repent. It means to be turned and think differently. Well, when you look at the word repent, Luke 13, the 13th chapter, 13 and 3, the Bible says, except you repent, you will all likewise perish, except you emeta, neo. You've got verbs and nouns all through these. Metanoia, or metanoia means to be turned And that metanoia, when you look it up in a parsing guide, it will tell you it's present tense, 
subjunctive mood. When you couple present tense with subjunctive mood, that means constantly over and over and over again. You have to repent every day because you have to die to the flesh daily. That's what you have to do. Why do you have to do it? Because the Bible says so. Why do we have to repent daily? Well, we are humans. We have a tendency when we get up in the morning and we start our life, we have a tendency to get involved in sin. Then God deals with us and turns us around. We do that the next day. And then the longer you live, it gets longer in between turns. Sometimes you start to turn and then you get back where you're supposed to be. That's called conviction. And the longer you live and the older you get, the more God will turn you. I'm in a, I'll be 82 here on May the 16th. I'm in a state of repentance every day. If you're not in a state of repentance at 82, you're crazy. You really don't believe God. God has to, and you say, but Jim, I know some older people that are not. Well, how long have they been believing the truth? You can have little faith. I had a fellow used to come here. We called him Big Al because he was a great big guy and he looked like Santa Claus. It's the way exactly what he looked like, big white beard and white hair. And he'd come up to me and he said, Jim, I'm about 55 at the time. He said, Jim, I'm in my 70s and I'm just a baby. I said, I know that. I don't expect as much from you as I do these people that's been believers for all their life. So he's he's going to have a tougher time turning. Of course, he's dead now. He's long dead. But baby believers are not going to be turned as... They're, they're going to be having to return more because they keep going back to sin daily. That's what the present tense subjunctive mood is about. It means over and over and over, except you continually repent. But if Christ is in you, that goes back to that inner and outer man, doesn't it? That goes back. You have an inner man that serves the law of God. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think I finished up with that. E auto. The thing is, you have to. The E A U T O N. Or E A T O N. That's an N in the Greek. The T is like a T. The U is like a U. And the A is like an A. This E. That is on the front of a word, in front of pronouns, and particularly in front of verbs. In front of a verb, it's called an augment. And it has something to do with the character of the word. It's like putting A-U-T-O-E-D. It's like putting autoed. That's something that was done in the past. That's the same thing Paul said when he said, I thank God I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. That word baptize is the word E-B-A-P-T-I-S-S-O. Baptizo is a form of baptizo. And I baptize, the E is on there, to show that was something that Paul did in the past. 
Well, that was proselyte baptism. We don't baptize in water here. The Bible doesn't teach that. Well, Jesus was baptized in water. I know that. That was a Pharisee baptism. I keep saying this. I hope you get a hold of it. The Pharisees had their own baptism. They had their own doctrine, and they did the same thing the preachers are doing in America today. Did the same thing. They're taking a Bible verse, and they're making it mean whatever they want it to mean. My pet peeve about the Charismatics is probably their favorite verse of all the things they quote. 3 John 2. I put this on the board 500 times if I put it once. John says to Gaius, I wish above all things. That ought to give him some signal. Above all things. 3 John 2. Above all things. Here's what I wish for you. John tells Gaius. John to Gaius. Above all things, here's what I want for you, that you'll prosper and be in health. So Kenneth Copeland and T.D. Jakes, they take this word and they do what the Pharisees did. They rich it. That's what the Bible says, men that rich the word of God. There in Second Peter that third chapter. They rich the word of God. They torture the word. That's what the Bible calls it. They torture the word of God because they are unlearned. Unlearned is the word amathes. A-M-A-T-H-E-S. Mathes is a form of the word mathetes. Mathetes is the word Learner. It is the word disciple. If you learn, you're going to have to go by the mathematical rules. You've got to go by the axioms. Axiom is a mathematical rule. By the way, axiom is a Greek word. Axios. A-X-I-O-S. Or A-X-I-O-O. Axiao means equitable. Or what it means is this side is equal to this side. That's what it means. It means equal. Well, that's the word axiao. When a man partakes unworthily, he's not talking about partaking of crackers and grape juice. There in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. To protect unworthily meant to go to the festivals after you have come in contact with a dead body. They had to go out on the road. Here's Israel. Well, here, let's look at Israel here. They had to go out on the road and they had to, they had three festivals that all the men had to come to. They had to come to Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering, which was also coupled, it was another name, was the Feast of Huts. Uh, and it was coupled with the Day of Atonement, which was 
the tenth day of the seventh month. The seventh month was Tishri. And Tishri is our month, September, October. And the first month was Nisan in the Jewish calendar. And that's our month, March, April. And there in Exodus, the 23rd chapter and several other chapters, all the males had to come back to these festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Ingathering, and had to bring a lamb with them. And if they couldn't bring a, bring a lamb, if they were coming from over here in Carthage, you can't bring a lamb all the way to Israel. <laughs> Get along there. Get on this boat. Come on, lamb, move over here. They had to bring a half shekel to buy a lamb. And they bought these lambs there at the temple. Nothing wrong with buying and selling lambs at the temple. They had to for men that were traveling a long way and they didn't, wasn't able to bring a lamb with them. What was wrong when Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers? It was the money changers he was angry at. They were stealing from the foreigners, that the Jews coming from every nation under heaven. They were getting there. They were saying, this lamb, and they were exchanging the money. You have to exchange money if you go into Canada. You have to stop at the border and give them $100 if you, and they'll give you so much money back in change, maybe 115 or 100 depending on what the exchange rate is. What they were doing was stealing from the people. And Jesus said, My father's house is a house of prayer, and you made it a den of thieves. You're stealing from the people. It wasn't buying and selling lambs that was wrong. So they're coming back from all over the world, coming over here to Jerusalem. And they all had to partake in these festivals. And because they had worked scattered all over the world all the time they were a nation from first samuel actually from judges from judges through second chronicles they kept going after these sun and tree gods which was later on brought in the church and renamed the christ mass i've gone over this a thousand times it seems like everything i'm teaching ties with everything else I can't get away from the subject. It all goes back to Israel being a nation in these years. There were a nation under kings about 510 years that kept going after Baal and the grove and Shemosh and Molech and Osiris and all the gods of Egypt and all the gods of the, all the gods of Syria. And you can look at that. You can see them doing that in Ezra, the ninth chapter, the first few verses. And they're going after the Ammonites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, gods. So God scatters them all over the world. And I'm talking about prosper and be in health. I got over here for some reason. I don't remember why. I I get on a subject. Well, we got to get back to prosper. Prosper doesn't mean money. They've twisted. Well, what they did here is they twisted God's words in Israel. They twisted his words. That's why he scattered them. They're all over the world. And you can put tongues in with this. They're all speaking with all of these tongues. 
They've been scattered as of Pentecost for six to seven hundred years, and they're got, and they're all over the world because God caused Assyria to come in and scatter northern Israel. He caused Babylon to come in in 586 B.C. to scatter southern Judah, which was comprised of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Northern Israel was the ten northern tribes, and they were ruled by Ephraim. So anywhere you see Ephraim, after they're scattered, like in Hosea, Hosea indicts Ephraim, which was the second son of Joseph. And Ephraim had all of the inheritance of Israel. Well, southern Judah was scattered, and they end up over here in Babylon. And that's where they start the synagogue. I've got all kinds of books on this. And when they get into the synagogue, they start... They say, we've got to have a law that will rule us. So what they did, they translated the Torah. They called the first five books of the Bible Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was the Torah. We call it Pentateuch. P-E-N-T-E-T-E-U-C-H. Pentateuch comes from pent, meaning five. A pentagram is a five-pointed star. Like so. One, two, three, four, five. That's a pentagram. And Pentateuch means first five books. So they translated the Torah over to the Babylonian Aramaic. Babylon Aramaic, and they did the same thing the preachers are doing today when with this word prosper and be in health. They twisted the meaning of the words over here in Babylon. So what they did, they started the synagogue, S-U-N-A-G, or S-Y-N. It actually comes from Sun and Ago. S-Y-N-A-G-O-G-U-E. comes from soon in ago. It means to lead ago together. Soon is a common word. It's a common prefix in the Greek. It means to blend with. It has a little different meaning than meta. Meta means to accompany. Meta. Meta means to accompany. Soon means to blend with. means to blend. That's, you have the word, you have many different variations of soon. Sum, sug, su. All of these have basically the same meaning. Sumarphos, S-U-M, M-O-R-P-H-O-S means to be shaped in fellowship. Fellowship, that has the basic same meaning as K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Koinonia is the word partaker or fellowship or to have in common. So, morphe means to be shaped and that's what we're predestined to we're predestined to be conformed to the image icon of Christ icon means likeness all those that he foreknew he's predestined to be conformed to the likeness so 
What they did over in Babylon is the same thing the Charismatics are doing today. It's the same thing the Baptists are doing today. I was raised in a Baptist preacher's home. I was ordained as a Southern Baptist preacher. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I went before Mecklenburg Association, the same association that Billy Graham went before in the early 40s or whenever it was. And they examined me, and I gave them all their answers, and they said, we're putting our approval on his being ordained. And I don't agree with anything the Southern Baptists are doing anymore. Don't believe in accept Christ as your personal Savior. Don't believe in Christ as a personal Savior. Yeah, for the elect. But you won't accept anything after he births you by his will. The natural man does not receive. Dekomai. Dek is the word ten. It means to restart the ten fingers and accept an offer that's been given. Dek, a decade is ten years. Dekomai means to reach out the ten fingers and accept. Dead men don't accept anything spiritual. I don't believe in accept Christ. That frustrated me more than anything in my young life when my father would beg people down the aisle, say, I want you to come. This may be your last chance. There's no chances with God. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And every one of God's people will hear. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. I hate accept Christ in sinner's prayer for salvation. The sinner will pray after he's born again by the will of God. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Belief comes first. It precedes accept Christ. It precedes sinner's prayer. You can't pray to a God you don't believe in. Good grief. My father preached that. Y'all are looking at somebody. I was more frustrated than any human alive. From the time I was 10, he started preaching. You got to accept Christ, Jimmy. Come on forward. I walked the aisle over and over. If you don't know tonight, the Bible doesn't say that. That's a confusing thing. There's two common Greek words for the word no in the Greek text. Which one are you going to do? Ido and gnosko. These both, both have been translated into the word no. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. How can they translate it? There's no way to really translate it. English is a very harlot language. It sells out meanings. It's a terrible language. Gnosko means, we get the word gnosis from that, which is the word science. It means to know by learning. Ido means to see or perceive. The difference between these two words, ito means to to personally be a personal witness to something. Gnosis means somebody told you. If you're coming up to a street here and there's a big car wreck there and somebody comes over to your house and tells you about it, that's gnosko. If you're there watching it happen, that's ito. When Paul said, I know whom I have believed, he used the word ido. He said, I've seen my life change. I'm an apostle, a preacher, and a teacher. Therefore, I ido whom I believe in. I have seen my life change. My father used to say, if you don't know tonight, and he was implying, gnosko. I never did gnosko. Hadn't learned anything. I was a kid. So being nervous as I was, I'd take off down the aisle again. 
I went down the aisle so many times, he dipped me about, him and two other preachers dipped me about seven times. You talk about, you know what that is? That is oppression of the baby sheep. My father oppressed me to know, and of course he oppressed everybody. He he was a preacher, but he'd get ball bats after people, the hammers after him, two befores after him, and run them off the road with his cars and punch out his deacons in front of the church, on the church grounds. Of course, he never did keep people in his churches. He always went to a church that had 30 or 35 people in a year. He'd only have 15. That would be counting little old ladies and the kids. I don't know if you've ever been to a preacher's church like that. We'd like to rule with an iron fist. He was one of them. I'm not trying to defame my father's memory. He was that way. Everybody that knew him will tell you that. He was the most unforgettable character I have ever met. I've met a lot of people in my life. Now, so Paul said, I can see, I believe, because the people I used to kill are my friends now. I used to kill Christians for a living. And now, I used to be a Pharisee killing Christians. I've seen myself change. You want to know about your salvation? Learn the Word. Learn the truth. Change! And that's when you'll see what you used to be and what you are now. I'm not the man that I was at 30, 35, 40. Not even close to the man. I never get angry. I sound like I do up here in the pulpit, but I don't. The only people I'm angry with in the pulpit are the ones I'm commanded to be angry with. That Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Be angry at these winds of doctrine, these preachers that preach winds of doctrine and they... They, with sleight of hand, they, they, they preach something that tricks the people, and it makes the church apathetic. The word is apogeo. It means they're in a state of apathy. They've heard so many winds of doctrine in America. They're all confused. I heard the same thing when I was a kid. I had to grow up and study the Bible for myself to learn what these things meant. And I'm, you know, I've, I've said this to people. It sounds crazy. My father was crazy. I mean, he was a nutcase. He got mad every day. I mean, we didn't know when he would come in. He'd drive in the driveway. I'm eight years old, and I'd say, Oh, God, he's here. Oh, God, he's here. Oh, God, oh, God, what do I do now? I was terrified of him. I even told him that when I got older. But I'm going to tell you something. This sounds crazy. I'm really thankful that I had the father I had. I'm so grateful I had him. You know why? It made me think for myself. That's the only reason I learned these things. Made me think. So whatever you go through, you can be thankful for it. That's hard to understand. I tell people, when something happens, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. My father's the reason I've studied the Bible so hard and so intently. The hunger was there as a kid. And I would pray when I was 17. I remember I was about 17 when I started praying, Lord, help me find the truth. I don't understand anything Daddy's saying. I heard a professor speak. My father had this professor from 
seminary between Dallas and Fort Worth come over and speak. And I heard all this information coming out of his mouth. I thought, I've got to learn that. And that was 65 years ago. That's the reason I think the way I think. I analyze everything. I analyze commercials on TV. I don't do it intentionally. I just do. It's there. And I go, well, that can't be true. Guy don't get a crown on his head because it's, it's tastes like butter. I mean, what are they talking about? And I would do that when I was young. I guess it's because my father said all these things, called me clumsy and ignorant and stupid. Don't treat your kids like that. Well, go ahead and treat them like that. Maybe they'll think. <laughs> now, so what they did when they're in Babylon, they took the they took the first five books of the Bible. They say there are 613 laws. That's what the Jews say. They translated over in the Babylonian, Arab, Babylonian Aramaic. Since they translated over from the Hebrew to the Babylonian Aramaic, there was a different. There was a different Aramaic, just like there was the Greek Koine, the common street language. Like there was different dialects. There were different dialects of the Aramaic all over the civilized world. There was one in northern Israel, and it was the the northern Israel Aramaic dialect. So they said we've got to translate it. And what we've got to do is come up with we've got to we've got to have men explain. We have to have explainers. Or they called them interpreters. interpreters of this of this law that were bringing over to the Aramaic language. So they started what they called Halakha. The Halakha was where they took verses out of these 613 laws and they interpreted them for themselves. They did it leaning it towards their own welfare. And what they did it with, they had a head rabbi that equated with the high priest system over here in Israel. The high priest was in charge of everything, all the sacrifices in Israel. Well, they they set up a, a rabbinical system, and they had rabbis under this head rabbi. And every time the head rabbi would die, they would appoint a new rabbi. And that rabbi could add to this halakha opinion and they called that tradition. And any time the New Testament talks about the traditions of the Pharisees, when they were in Babylon, they were called the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue. Synagogue is evil. So are the rabbis. And by the time you get down to Jesus Christ, and this thing they started building around 538 B.C. Then when you get to Jesus, these same rabbis are called the Pharisees of the Babylonian synagogue. And every time a new rabbi would come in that add opinions to their halakha, 
And as they got down to Christ, everything they had said, said. They called that the traditionary law. They called it the tradition. You look up tradition, it's the word paradosis. Paradosis means the traditionary law of Moses. A tradition is something passed down word of mouth. They said the halakha could not be written down. The only way you could understand it is the new head coming rabbi would come in and add his opinions to what it meant. That's the same thing they do when they say prosper and be in health. Prosper, E-U-O-D-O-O. They say prosper means money. That's what Kenneth Copeland says. That's what T.D. Jake says. That's what Fred Price said before he died. They all say that. Health is the word hugiano, H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O. And A-I-N-O. Hugiano is the same word that Paul would use when he would speak of sound doctrine. It means uncorrupt words. It doesn't mean physical health. I wish above all things that thou mayest all things. What do you think he wants for all things? Wants him to be rich and have the health of an Olympic athlete? That's not what he wanted. Prosper, whether people like it or not, it's the word E-U-O-D-O-O. Euodio is a construction of E-U meaning well. You see that on eulogy, which is Greek. Eulogy means well, words. This word you means well. Hodos means way. That's what euodio come from you and hodos it means way it means the well way if there's a well way there's a bad way there's a well way and that is narrow is the way so that's wish these guys that say that's money and physical health they're dodos they're dumbbells they're stupid if they can't learn they're stupid they could be ignorant and learn ignorant just means unlearned Stupid is the word brutish in the Old Testament and the New. It means to have the understanding of a brute beast that cannot learn. I've had some dogs like that. Had one named Charlie. He was an English bulldog. All he could do is sling his head and throw spit. I said, come here, Charlie. And he'd go, <laughs> he wouldn't even come to you. He'd just throw spit. That's all he'd do. He was a brute beast, but he was lovable. These brute beasts, uh, the brute beast coping, those guys are not lovable. Do I have any time, Mike? Six. Six minutes. Anyway, here's, let me just show you some things. This is a set of books about the Halakha. They also had a Haggadah. They said the Halakha couldn't be written down. But by the time of Jesus, they had the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a book that's holy to the Pharisees, and you can get a copy of it. The Mishnah, Mishnah, M-I-S-N-A-H. This has written down that they say couldn't be written down in the Halakha, they also had the Haggadah, which is a commentary 
And they said that couldn't be spoken aloud. And when you look up Talmud in your T volume of McClinic and Strong, it'll give you about 20 or 30 pages just on the Halakha and the Haggadah. And the stupid things they said, they would say, how does the Holy One, speaking of God, pray, blessed be He? How does He pray? Prayer means to bow to the will of God. You mean He went into a, a temple and said, Dear Heavenly Me. The house, since God has a house of prayer, it's not a place He goes to pray, it's a place His people go to pray. How stupid were they? They said all kinds of dumb things. And you cannot believe what they said in the Mishnah. It's dumb stuff. And it's things that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for when he said it hath been said by them of old time. The word said is a reference to the verbal law of the Halakha. That's what it is. Here's a book. Literature of the Sages. Two volumes. This is the first volume. Oral Torah, Halakha, Mishnah, Tosefta, which means addition. They added things later on. Talmud, external tractates. These things developed. All of this developed into the Mishnah by the time of Christ. Then about 200 A.D., about 200 A.D., I'll just put it up here, they come up with the Talmud. The Talmud is nothing but trash. It's garbage. And that is what they study. This is a great book here. These, this is a part of the compendia. It's got compendia up on top. Compendia was an effort by Jews and Gentile Christians, they came together to put together a study of how that Israel or the Jews and the Christians' history and their culture came together. These were started, they started putting them out in 1964. I've got 11 volumes of it. The first two volumes are about the Jews in the first century. Excellent set of books. Pretty expensive, maybe $125 or $30 a piece. But I don't know if they're above the 89 or 90 that I gave. Probably that's why I guessed it, 130 or 40 And then you've got this set of books here. I have marked this up to the heavens. This is commentary on the New Testament. You can see how much I've been studying. I always put post-it notes in there. And I mark up everything. If I'm going to study a book, I'm going to mark it as I go. I don't just read something and put it down. I like to go back and review, and I put stars around the parts that I really want to remember. And Mr. Lightfoot, he went through the New Testament, particularly Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he and he's got some things on Corinthians, on Colossians, and other books in here. This is about, I think it's a six-volume set. I only, I've been looking at this one for years. I can't exhaust it because when you read it, you've got to go slow. He'll tell you what the Pharisees said and why Jesus corrected them. I've given you the illustration many times. When Jesus said, the Sabbath 
was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. They gritted their teeth and just was spitting anger. We'll kill you for that. They said man was created on the sixth day to put him in subjection to the Sabbath. He said the Sabbath was made for man for him to rest. Not so he could be put into the rituals and these difficult instruction of a Sabbath day. It's not what it was for. It's for the word Sabbath means rest. So everything Jesus said to the Pharisees, everything was a correction to them. That's why they are just bent out of shape. By the time you get to the 23rd chapter of Matthew, he goes through that whole chapter and says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You compass the land and make one proselyte. A proselyte was somebody that come from another land and they came to Israel to become a become a convert to Judaism. And they had to be washed they had to be circumcised, washed in water, and offered two turtle doves, and they became a proselyte of the gate. And they were privileged to partake in a Passover or anything the Jews partook of. And that's another story. And that's the baptism that Jesus was baptized with. He wouldn't baptize so he could make sure that he was saved, you know. <laughs> he was baptized to fulfill the righteousness of the Pharisees. He said, let's fulfill all righteousness. They kept calling him a Samaritan because he was raised in Nazareth. And Nazareth to them was a filthy pit hole of the earth. It was like a septic tank. To say Jesus of Nazareth was like to say Jesus of the garbage dump. That's what it was like saying in the first century. They hated Nazareth. It was the land of Zebulon. Right up there in that, that purple thing up there. And they hated that. And so they... The reason Jesus was washed in water so he could... They had to accept him in Israel if he's washed in water. That was there. That's what John said. Therefore, am I come baptizing in water that Christ might be made manifest to Israel. He wasn't giving us an example so we could show an outward sign of an inward work of God. That is so dumb. I've heard every Baptist preacher say that that I ever heard in my life, including my father. Well, I'm done. I'm not done. I wanted to read some things out of this and out of this. Some things out of this. Don't have time. Maybe I will. I hope when I read these things that affects you because it affects me. The preachers in America are doing the same thing the Pharisees were doing. They're giving a verse and just wrenching it and twisting it apart. Just like Prosper and Ben Hill. Just like calling things that be not as though they were. We're living in the worst times. I believe America is one of the wickedest nations that's ever existed. It has too much money. And the love of money is the root of all evil. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. God, I thank you for letting me see as much as you've allowed me to see. Let me see more. God, I pray that you'll strengthen the flock. 
I know there's a lot of lonely people because they're having to stay away and stay at home. Let them know that I care about them. I love all of the sheep. I know some of them have a tendency to wander away and wander off. Fight our battles for us. We don't want to fight anybody ever again. I know that everything is your will. And we'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Mercy. That's a lot, isn't it? I think it's good if I can document the stuff and read it to you. Nothing like reading it to document it. I'm going to read some more.